1: The Nazi V2 was a rocket-powered bomb travelling faster than the speed of sound. You couldn't hear it coming. A technological miracle, but a military and economic disaster for Nazi Germany. How did the V2 come into existence? And why were so many of the people it hurt, not the people you might expect? Join me, Tim Harford, host of Cautionary Tales, for my gripping mini-series on the V2 rocket, available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: This is Edgy Martinez. Check out my podcast, Edgy Martinez IRL, where I talk to Super Bowl halftime performer and the newly married usher about relationships.
1: Trust is the, the main, you know, component to happiness and success in a relationship. Being able to actually hear each other and speak up. I think most of the time you we all just want to be heard.
2: Listen to Angie Martinez IRL on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts and wherever you get your podcasts.
3: The volume.
0: The Draymond Green Show is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to bet the action than on FanDuel Sportsbook during the football season. It's easy to use, it's safe and secure. You get payouts in as fast as two hours. There's so many bet types. My favorite same game parlay bets. There's live betting, player props, futures. If you're new, Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. To get started now, sign up. Please use the promo code Colin. C-O-L-I-N. FanDuel Sportsbook makes it easy.
3: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Draymond Green Show. We are actually live here at Chase Center. Well, not live, but... (laughs) <laughs> We're live here at Chase Center in the Bridge Club, as you can see, with the three championship trophies in the back. And I personally wanted this location for this shoot because of today's guest, which I am thrilled and excited as hell to have. Um, I've been, they, they've told me to stop cursing. I'm excited as fuck about <laughs> having Steph Curry <laughs> today. Um, but. Let me introduce him the right way because I can't just come on here and act like, you know, this is my man's. I don't have to do the proper introduction. So, here goes the laundry list. Three-time NBA champ. Well, let's rewind a little bit because this is actually going to be a topic. Seventh overall pick in the 2009 draft. Drafted right after Minnesota picked Ricky Rubio and Johnny Flynn. Note that. We'll talk about that later. Three-time NBA champ, two-time MVP. Eight time All Star, four time. First team All NBA, two time. Second team All NBA, one time. Third team All NBA. Two time NBA scoring champ. Most made threes all time, 3,117 threes and counting. Most threes in the season, 402. It's probably most than I've had in my career, <laughs> but we'll talk about that another time. And then the last one is irrelevant. We're not going to even talk about that one. <laughs> Steph, what's up, my brother? Welcome to the show.
4: It's so weird hearing that from you. <laughs> I appreciate it. Absolutely.
3: Um, I mean, in, in starters, since since we are discussing that, you're drafted by the, with the seventh pick by the Golden State Warriors. Rumor has it that you never wanted to play for the Golden State Warriors. Can, can, can you help me <laughs> understand that?
5: Yes. Uh, taking me back, so, like, The draft is always weird just because you have a plan or you you think you know where the best fit is. And especially when, you know, in the lottery kind of situation, you kind of know who you're kind of slide against from other, your your counterparts at the same position. I always wanted to go to New York. That was it. Like, I was trying to find my way there. Mike D'Antoni was there. Uh, Danilo Gallinari, our future, or past but future at the time teammate David Lee like it was supposed to be like the run and gun type Phoenix 2.0 offense and I was supposed to be a point guard there and they kind of sold me on that dream but they had the ace pick so I wanted to go there I didn't work out for Golden State I didn't come out here before the draft I talked to Larry Riley the uh, then GM in Chicago at the pre-draft combine for dinner once talked to Don Nelson once and that was that was really it um Spain, Minnesota, like, they had the five and six picks, so I was like, all right, if I just get past five and six, cool, I'm going to be in New York, and it's going to be dope, and everything that I imagined the NBA to be in the fit was going to be there, and then uh, Larry Riley and Don Nelson had other plans, seventh pick came around, uh, called my name, I had, like, mixed emotions, because, like, it's, you know, it's a dream come true to Absolutely. get drafted, it no don't matter where it is, but I was like, that was not on my radar. Always <laughs> so that care for what you wish for, and you know, guy got a plan. So, uh, 13 years later, I'm still out here,
3: still here. And, you know, <laughs> you know what's 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 crazy about that is, um, when I when I was going through the draft process, I'm as you know, I'm a very deep thinker. i yeah. so I be I spent my pre-draft in the East Lansing, so mm-hmm. driving to the airport when I'm headed off for a workout. Which, I know y'all caught the little lottery flex in there. I don't don't act like don't. <laughs> don't,
4: don't for, I was about to say when I got the envelope to go right, to the green room see, type. Don't
3: not for one second think that wasn't a low key shot. That was definitely a shot, but I'll take that one on the chin. Uh, um, but I'm driving back and forth to the to the airport from East Lansing to bought the pre-drive workouts. Yes, yeah, and yeah. I had 20 workouts, so yeah, it, it wasn't like I made this drive twice. I yeah. made this drive probably 13 times. And I'm riding and I'm thinking about the whole process. And as I'm riding, I'm thinking to myself, like, where are all the places I would go? And, like, I've told the story before. I had a promise from Indiana. I had a promise, like, if I was still there, Memphis would take me. Miami would take me. All these teams that told me if I was still there, they would take me. None of them did. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm driving and I'm thinking to myself, like, where am I going to end up? And I kid you not. I thought to myself one day, like, I don't know where I'm gonna end up, but I do know, and I literally had this thought, but I do know I just won't end up in the state of California. Okay. And I'm not sure why I had that thought.
5: It wasn't even about the pick number, it's just there's. Was...
3: It wasn't the pick okay. number, it wasn't the Lakers, the Kings, the Warriors, the Clip. It, it wasn't, it was just, I don't think I'm going to end up in the state of California. For me, that was a big deal. I had never lived outside of the state of Michigan, you right. know? And so. That was a big deal for me, but I just never thought I'd end up here. So to hear that you didn't want to come here, I can't say that I didn't necessarily want to come here. I didn't have that choice. Yeah. I had an option of <laughs> wherever I was going to go. I needed to go. Straight up. But I had no Straight idea up. that I would end up out here. Yeah. And like you said, 13 years later, 10 years later, I'm still sitting here.
5: For real. And like, you grew up in Michigan, North Carolina, like I, I came to L.A., once or twice, and never been to the Bay up until my junior year of college. I played my last game here at St. Mary's against Patty Mills and um, the St. Mary Gales. That was the first time I'd ever been here. We stayed at the Walnut Creek Marriott. Right, like, I used to I <laughs> like live like eight minutes from there. It's mm-hmm. so weird just thinking about uh, how where somebody some place becomes your home just out of out of nowhere, kind of unexpected, and start to uh, to build an identity out here. So it's pretty dope.
3: What what did you make of Ricky Rubio and Johnny Flynn getting drafted right before you? Did you think there was any chance um, that Minnesota would draft them before you?
6: Uh,
3: no, no. Not, that they the, or was there any chance that Minnesota would draft you?
5: I that's what I was thinking more so, like, because I have uh, done my pre-draft workouts with pretty much all the point guards at some point. Uh, Rubio, he didn't come over, so I didn't work out with him. But like Johnny Flynn, Tyreek. Uh, Tyreek Evans, um, Ty Lawson, Drew Holiday, uh, Eric Boehner. Uh, okay. I'm missing one and it's going to kill me. Um, oh, Brandon Jennings. Ah. So, like, I worked out with all of them and I was like, I, I I know, you know, from a shooting perspective, obviously I got it, but I have a lot to offer and, you know, I should be at the top of that PG list. Um, obviously, James went three Tyreek went four and at that point I'm like okay Washington had just traded their pick to DC or sorry Washington had traded their pick to Minnesota so they had five and six I'm like it's a good chance like they're gonna pick me but if, but if I get past that New York had already made that promise Golden State went even on the radar but definitely when they took two point guards you're sitting in the green room like all right that's weird like what's the plan there and why am I still sitting here uh, but obviously, I only had about eight minutes to think about that, <laughs> <laughs> and then I was next, so it was just different. Uh, I always laughed too, because there was like this, con- uh, this article that came out about David Kahn, who was the GM at the time, and like obviously, it's revisionist history. It's like my fourth to fifth year in the league. It's like, oh, why didn't Minnesota pick me over you know those two guys when they took two point guards? And the line was like, oh, he knew how much I like golf and uh, Minnesota is too cold, so I wouldn't have been happy there as a basketball player knowing I couldn't play golf throughout the year. I said, ooh, that's a, that's a reach right there. Yeah. <laughs> that's, well, a, that's a certified reach. And where, next up on this episode, we, sh- we <laughs> should
3: play the game that Chuck plays on TNT. Where is he now? Because <laughs> wherever he is now, that's where he belongs. It's not in the NBA. <laughs> wherever he is now, That's exactly where he belongs. Uh, But, so, the whole draft process happens. And so, for all the listeners out there, what you have to understand is every guy, two things here. mm -hmm. Every guy in the league has a guy that destroys you every time you play him, and he's not, like, one of those guys. And then I think everyone also has, like, a guy who, at some point in your career or another, that guy was in front of you, and you look. Then you, we all look at it as, like, even during that moment, mm-hmm. you're looking at it like, this dude isn't better than me. Like, I'm not sure why this guy's playing with me. The world then gets to see that as time plays out. Like, and there's one guy that was in front of you, had an incredible college career, not so much NBA career, but there was one guy that was in front of you that you did not play for in front of your rookie year. And you talked to us about who that guy is and how that drove you to want to destroy him and honestly, probably moved him out of the NBA. But that's a whole nother story. Who are you talking about? Oh, you, you know exactly about... who I'm talking about. Wait,
4: who are you talking about? AC Law. I was about to say, okay. AC <laughs> <laughs> Law. So... But he So, like, there's a the thing between college basketball and the league. Like, we all know. Like you said, it's, it's just fit timing. It's just opportunity. It's
5: matchups. It's all that type of stuff. My second year in the league, like, A.C. Law was uh, the point guard I was uh, in practice I was going against him. Like, he was nice, and he had his, like, such a unique game that I could never really figure out. Um, but I was trying to come into my own as a player and you know he was getting all the minutes. <laughs> he, he was closing out fourth quarters. And I always say, like, the league is funny just because confidence is everything, opportunity is everything, and what you do when you get that opportunity can dictate, you know, your future. And um and it's also about patience. That's right? a fact. And that's sometimes hard to really go go through that process, and you don't ever want to hear it when you're right in the middle of it. But I went through that my second year. Like, I was getting benched in the fourth quarter. AC Law was playing. Key Smart was our coach. And, like, honestly, I learned a lot, but it was a tough pill to swallow. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also motivated me and drove me. And, and then when I did get that opportunity to be like, I am that guy that can compete at the highest level in this league Can close out games, can be a dude you can trust in those moments and all that type of stuff. Uh, Yeah. AC is definitely the name that kind of embodies that moment <laughs> for, for good or for worse. And that's part of like the process. Like you said, it's not disrespecting him. It's just like that dude that was in front of you mm-hmm. in terms of your opportunity. And, um, and to his credit, he was a great vet in terms of he was helping me throughout that process, but he knew like I was kind of in my place. So it was kind
4: of like a, it was a little bittersweet. Only, bit, bit <laughs> <You know?
3: laughs> only a matter of time. And by the way, he answered that probably as nice as he could for y'all. <laughs> Eh, yeah, so it's, you know, it's fine. But, so, you go through, it. also, Smarty, I'm going to let you live, and I'm not going to hit you with the David Con line for 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 not playing Steph. I'm going to let you live, because we got love for you,
5: Smarty. do, <laughs> yeah.
4: Put your shoe on the bar, big fella.
5: A
3: lot of love for you, so we're going to let you live, and we won't hit you with that one. So, you then go through that, and that's your first couple years, you also deal with, quite a few ankle injuries. Uh, walk me through that process and, and how, what, I mean, I remember when I first got here. Mm-hmm. Um, that was but, the narrative. <laughs> like, the narrative was the ankles, do, do, does the Warriors offer you an extension? Do they not? I remember my first time ever meeting you was you're on the court and the entire front office staff, the entire ownership group, everybody's sitting there watching you do an individual workout <laughs> as if you was about to get drafted in a couple of days. I couldn't believe it. But they're literally <laughs> debating on this workout whether they're going to give you an extension. Now, walk yeah. me through that process of going through the ankle injuries, having to bounce back from that, not knowing what's next, if they're going to resign you. If not, just walk me through that process.
5: Yeah. I, I was never played with injuries my entire <clears throat> basketball career from middle school, high school, college. Like, uh, I had a pretty clean track record on that front. So even my rookie year, I played seven or 80 games in my rookie year and played, like, a lot of men's, especially the last three or four months and never had real nagging injuries, especially my ankle. So when it started to happen my second year, like, it's frustrating because, I mean, obviously you're in pain, you're rehab, you're in and out the lineup. And then it just kept happening. And then it just kept happening. And then it was like, oh, I don't even have to step on nobody's foot or being I could just be changing direction on the court and running in transition. that joint a flip. So it was scary cause I didn't have any control of the situation. It was like, no matter how much I prepared my body for like how I knew how to prepare my body at the time, nothing was working. But I also knew, like, I was getting better on the court when I had the opportunity to play. And all I wanted to do was give myself a chance to, like, prove myself. And you have to be available and healthy to be able to do that. So that lasted for two years, like, off and on. I had two surgeries, um, extensive rehabs, missed, like, 30 games during my third year uh, in a lockout year. And to your point, like, your future's kind of hanging in the balance of your health because— uh, you got surgeries on your resume. Nobody like that. <laughs> uh you got chronic like injuries that aren't really freak accidents. It's like I could be just doing normal basketball moves and my ankle would flip. then you got the mental exhaustion of like just going through that process over and over and over again so um thankfully, I think i I was so just focused on getting healthy I didn't really put too much pressure on myself on, like, what the implications of uh, the injuries really could mean in the long term, which I think helped me to stay motivated in the rehab. Because, you know, like, anytime you go through rehab, the mind, you know, or the body responds to the mind. If you can't stay positive and you can't stay motivated and you start to get in your feelings and all that, like it's a, it's a lonely, miserable feeling. And thankfully, like I was either young, naive or whatever. I just couldn't stay out of, I I didn't have anything else to worry about, but just get healthy and let everything kind of take care of itself. Um, and thankfully after the second surgery, I started to get a little bit more progress, started to learn about my body a lot more. I started to learn what it took to, you know, play at this level and the preparation that you needed to, to, to do that. And then, um, Signed the most favorable contract
4: <laughs> in possibly NBA history <laughs> in terms of everything that it allowed us to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know those next four years. So
5: uh, it was a blessing in a in, a, in disguise, if you will, uh, that I I'm forever, I guess, grateful and thankful for. <laughs> <laughs> well, before
3: we talk about the contract, <laughs> because that's definitely something <laughs> that I would love to talk about. Yeah. <clears throat> Rumor has it, I'm not sure if, if you've ever confirmed this or if anyone ever has confirmed it, but rumor has it that uh, we trade the Warriors. I can't say we because I was not here yet, but the Warriors trade for Andrew Bogut, and they trade Monte Ellis to the Milwaukee Bucks. Andrew Bogut comes back. Rumor has it that the trade initially was for you to go to Milwaukee um, and Monte Ellis to still be here, Bogut coming in. Mm-hmm. The Milwaukee doctors, who probably should be fired. Um, we fired everybody. I, I'm, I'm, listen, I'm on this whole notion of accountability. Everybody want to hold us accountable. I'm holding everybody accountable. You, you, you did it. The Milwaukee doctor. I hope they still not the same doctor there. Um, but Milwaukee doctors, they didn't approve your ankles, said your ankles would be no good. And so they stopped the trade, and then ultimately Monte gets traded. Uh, do you know that to be one hundred percent true? And at that time, were you expecting to be traded, or was when that news finally came out, was that news to you?
5: The doctor part, like I can't put a name to it, but I know that was a part of the conversation because it all happened at once for me. I know exactly where we were. We were in Sacramento. Um, it's a lockout year, since so right at the trade deadline, we get to the arena and walk in the locker room. first. I was on the first bus. Monte usually comes on the second bus. Um, we were kind of, we were outside of playoff uh, seating, but we were trying to make a little push. Like we were like 10th, like maybe four or five, six games out of it. But we thought we had enough time to you know make a run. And we get in the locker room. And it's kind of a different energy, you know, around trade deadline. It's always like that, but this was different. it was like, it's a little quiet in here. Like what's going on? Mark Jackson's a coach at the time. Uh, it was his first year, getting in the locker room, and I'm getting taped, getting ready to play in the game, and you see across the ticker on in the on the TV in the locker room, like, uh, breaking news, NBA trade, Warriors trade, Monte Ellis, F.A. Udo, and somebody else for Andrew Bogut. And that's how we found out. So wow. We are all in the locker room like, yo, what the hell? What? what? What's going on? So Monte shows up. He just got off the phone with his agents. Agent they just called him, and this is maybe an hour and a half before the game, two hours before the game. So then you know he's kind of like emotional, but you know kind of resolute, like this is happening. Like forget y'all, They're like not 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 the team, but forget <laughs> the organization in terms of like he he was the true ultimate warrior. Like he was a fan favorite, deservedly so. We believe the last one from the We believe team uh, had grown into a veteran, you know, presence and leader um, in that respect. So it was a tough. Tough blow for like all of the nation. It wasn't really received well. So uh that's how it went down. Everybody kind of said their goodbyes. And Monte FAA left. And then Coach Jackson pulled me out at the locker room. He was like, yo, I said, i will let you know, like, they wanted you in the trade. But for whatever reason, like, and that's part of the document oh, that didn't go down like that. He's like, I kind of stepped into and said, I'm gonna give you the keys. I felt like I really believe in you. We just got to get you healthy. And that's what the rest of the season going to be about. So, you know, his line, don't make me a liar.
3: <laughs> <laughs> don't make me a liar. <laughs>
5: um, and so that, I, I, that was when it was like, the trade happened and like, oh, by the way, that could have been you type vibe all at the same time. Um, crazy, crazy day. I'll never forget that that moment because um, it definitely set the tone for what, you know, the next chapter was about to be about.
3: Actually, before we go into the $44 million deal, <laughs> um, speak on Mark Jackson a little bit. One thing I always say to people, and I would love to get your perspective, I don't think people like it's just not something that we talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, but I felt like Mark Jackson, um, Coach Jackson to me, um, but I feel like one thing that he was great at is he. Like, he breathed confidence in the guys. Like, he's just spewing confidence in the guys. And I think that was huge in our growth and, and who we eventually yeah. became is the confidence that he gave guys. I know people, like, I was actually watching earlier today the clip when when he said, uh, I got the best shooting backcourt mm-hmm. in history of basketball. He sounded crazy.
4: <laughs> he sounded crazy. <laughs> a, yeah. I
3: thought he was crazy and out of his mind. <laughs> Everybody in the world thought he was crazy and out of his mind. But he said, I got the best shooting backcourt in basketball history. Uh, what did what did Coach Jackson do for you in your career and helping you understand, like, no, you are one of them dudes. What what was that for you? Cause I know for me, like, he breathed confidence into me and made me felt like I belonged in this
5: league. Yeah. It's it's the balance of like. As a player, like, uh, people who say they don't hear or read anything, they lying. Like, you hear everything that gotcha. there People, like, media, analysts, coaches, other players. Like, it's a small fraternity and group and a family in this NBA and then also within these organizations. So you hear everything about you. And it's just a matter of, like, that awareness mixed with, like you said, your confidence and who you are, your identity, um... And then, obviously, what you go and do out on the floor, to have somebody that's a decision maker, that's you know in that head coaching position, that goes out of his way to either defend, hype up, uh, like breathe life into, like you say, to to your players, like that meant so much, especially as a first time head coach, because he was going out on these, you know, on these limbs that, like I said, some people did, thought he was like out of his mind, you know. You know, just kind of just a ride or die with no kind of thought. Like he, he was very strategic and intentional about everything that he said, and that meant so much to us as young as a young team trying to just find an edge and find an identity. And it was contagious, man. Like you know, he he would come into every uh, pregame locker, uh, pregame uh, you know speech, and give us a like like a sermon almost. Absolutely. And it would be it would just be like something like you want to run through the wall or laugh or feel some type of emotion. <laughs> And we go out and hoop, um, and he was so consistent in that front. So, at that time in our in my career and our career as a team and, and journey that we were trying to you know come into, he was perfect for that because he was an extreme motivator, uh, you know, an ultimate defender. He would hype you up, he breathed confidence in you, and that's how we went out and played. Um, and I think to his. His credit, sometimes you think about how everything ended after that third year. He almost would use different uh, motivations that weren't even real. Like you kind of have to manifest something. Like almost like the Kobe mentality or like MJ back in the day, like I might make something up in terms of there's, you know, some enemy that doesn't even exist, but I'm gonna make sure everybody's on the same page against whatever that is. Absolutely. Um, That's just how he rolled. And it was, it was, it was great for us in terms of, you know, giving us that edge.
3: Has it been shocking for you that he hasn't been able oh, to 1, get another job?
5: I understand the drama around when he left because it was a front office coach disagreement. And he would probably admit that there were a couple of interviews he did right after he left that he probably didn't need to do. He spoke his mind, he spoke his truth, but he probably, you know, uh, I don't say regret, but you think about like, you know, doing it a different way on, on the back end. But when you talk about like somebody that knows the game, somebody knows how to relate to players somebody that is the ultimate competitor and play at the highest level uh play with amazing great uh, play for some uh, great coaches and with other amazing you know players throughout his career like all that wrapped into one person and just his vantage point as an analyst and all that like I'm extremely surprised I know his name floats up a lot he definitely he deserves another opportunity whoever want to take our opinion, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. Definitely surprised, and hopefully it won't uh, that won't remain too long.
3: I think w- when I'm when I'm looking around the NBA, I hope he gets an opportunity that he does not have to build a team the way he had to build us. But, but the reality is, is there's ten to fifteen teams a year in that same position that I that he's proven right here, that he can handle that job for sure. Now, if you want to say, oh, well, he hadn't coached superstars because when he coached us, you weren't a superstar yet. Clay wasn't a superstar yet. You know, like, we, none of us had grown into who who we became. So if you want to say, all right, well, he hasn't proven he can coach superstars. Well, what he has proven is at least that he can do that. No doubt. And so that that part has been a bit shocking to me, I must say. Um, and, and I hope to see, you know, his, obviously his na- name just came up in the Lakers job. And I hope to see him get an opportunity because I think he did an incredible job. Um, everyone has their differences. I don't think any head coach or general manager or ownership group is on the, on the same page at all times. I, I don't believe that. And after being in this league for 10 years. I can almost say that's for certain. I mean, <laughs> and if you have one that's always on page at the same time, I am mean, always on the same page, then they're an outlier, they're a unicorn right. because it just doesn't happen. This is a very um like
5: it's a dynamic situation. I absolutely- things change so fast in this league. And the fact that we can you always gonna have to recalibrate and reassess and, and Uh, like you say, find some middle ground even almost because there are so many, you know, especially when you have a lot of cooks in the kitchen, like, I mean, what the Lakers are going through and what's coming out now. Yeah, (laughs) everything's coming out of now. (laughs) Like, it's crazy. It's just evolutions of all this stuff. And it's it's what we do and what everybody, it's not easy. No, for for sure. And I think, like you said, uh, some
3: interviews that he maybe want to take back now. But I also think he caught... Uh, uh, some things that came his way that were a little unfair. And here's one of them. Steph Curry ruined the game of basketball. When he said that, everybody was on edge. Like, wow, did he really come out and go ask Steph like he that? Bitter. He
5: better, he better. He got fired. Now he coming out. <laughs>
3: Absolutely. You look at the game of basketball today, I understand exactly what he was talking about. Absolutely. You watch an elementary school play, you watch the NBA. I know exactly what he was talking about. But at that time, I think that also fueled the narrative of him being bitter, right? It fueled the narrative of, oh man, it wasn't all working there. And look, now he's shooting that step. And it was actually more of a compliment than
5: anything. He said to let the dust settle and figure out exactly what the context. He had been in gyms with his with his sons, they were hooping. He was watching, you know, middle school games every week, and he was like, yo, what is this? they're literally watching this dude and thinking they can skip a bunch of steps and be like him. So. It's hard to get that in on a broadcast, mm-hmm. uh, especially that was one of the worst things that next year when he got, uh, after he got let go and Coach Kerr's in, we're on a run. They put him in like 20
4: Every of game. our games. <laughs> Every game. Why you set my man up, for, set
5: him up for
0: success?
3: For sure. Every game he was on. I mean, I that's another story. But.
4: Say, that's good TV. No, no. It's <laughs> not. Nah,
3: y'all, y'all are really making him look like, like he can't. He can't even speak the way he want to speak. For instance, saying Steph Curry ruined the game of basketball. And everybody's just piling on everything. He say the moment he criticized anything the Warriors is doing, like any analyst that's, they're, they're going to go at both teams. That's what you do as an analyst. You're going to pick the game apart. And he'd say something about us. And it's, I mean, it's, it's, the, it's the headline of the game. And so I, I think that was, that was a rough, but, you know, and getting back to the, to the $44 million deal, you signed the 444. And I think what most people don't understand is, is at that time that was the growing, going rate. You signed that deal. Ty Lawson signed that deal, and give or take two, three, two, four, four million. million dollars each way. Um, Demar Drew. Derozan signed the same deal. Drew Holiday signed the same deal. Uh, I think I, I should. I think I said Ty Lawson mm-hmm. already. Brandon Jennings signed the same. Like everyone was kind of signing that same deal. Now, a year later it was the worst deal in pro sports history. <laughs> 1 year later it was the absolute worst deal in professional sports. On your behalf, on the Warriors' behalf, yeah, the best is, deal. Yeah, but absolutely. How did you go through that knowing you're making 11 million dollars a year, you probably should be you should be making 25 million dollars a year. But in the same token, if you don't sign a 44 million dollar deal, um the Warriors have to decide on whether they're going to keep me or Clay. Mm-hmm. Um, The Warriors are never able to sign Andre. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in hindsight, fast forward a couple more years okay. later, also not able to sign KD as well. So how were you able to go through that and see the bigger picture and know I'm going to ultimately make my money? But right now, I mean, there was a time where I, I think, yeah, there was a time where I was making more money than you, on like you were the fifth or sixth highest paid player on our team.
5: It's a, it's all intentionality, and it sounds so freaking cheesy and cliche because I'm talking about it right now. But like this is exactly how I thought, and it's like I talked to my wife about it right before I signed. I was flying into Phoenix the day before opening uh, opening night, which by the way was probably one of the worst games. Signing after signing <laughs> NBA history too. We were on the road to open up in Phoenix and uh at the time Larry Riley uh Bob was there um my agent and they're like we're trying to figure out coming to a deal and like it was that one thing I had to just tell myself like one let's let's look let's keep perspective here like 44 million dollars for four years more money than my pops ever made in the league because I've been around the league for 16 years watching my dad play like I know how league that, how far the league has grown, grown from when he played. And, like, that's good money. Support my family. got a lot of security. I just want to be healthy. Like, let's just focus on that, not what you leaving on the table, what you could have made. And then don't count anybody else's money. Like, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, when you sign, like, that's your decision. You're going to rock with it. You hopefully have a lot more years to play this game. Um, and I try to set that foundation for my mindset right then and there, and never ne- re- like negotiate with myself afterwards. Never like second guess. Never come back to that moment like, oh, I should have, could have, would have, because that's not how life works. So I had to be really intentional about it. I, I hate like that's. It sounds so simple and and fairy tale because it did work out. But I do give myself credit that that was the perspective that I made sure I had and didn't want to let anything distract me from what you know could have been or what I left on the table, uh, what other situation that could have been out there. And and thankfully, you know, like you said, you listed all five things that were kind of consequences of that. Mm -hmm. And I was still taken care of. I was still good. Mm -hmm. So, that meant a lot in that moment. Did... did
3: signing a $44 million deal, which like you said is a lot of money, but then ultimately you realize like, I'm not even making half what I should... Did that play any role into you ultimately leaving Nike and saying, I'm going to go sign with Under Armour?
5: That is a great question. And yes, that is actually a fantastic. Nobody's ever really put that two and two together. It was an opportunity to, I guess, there's always that, that, that theme in the league when somebody's coming up with a contract extension or free agency or whatever, like you do, you bet on yourself. Like, what does that do you bet on yourself? What does that mean, right? everybody is, uh, you know, like a New Noel type situation. You know, you have somebody like uh, DeAndre Ayton right now. You got yeah. guys that had good money on the table.
1: Mm-hmm.
5: How it works out, we'll see, right? With that piece, like, knowing I had, you know, four years on the court and got to survey the free, shoe free agency situation to just see where I was at on that side of the, the uh and that part of uh, my career like building something from scratch taking a sh- a chance to um put my fingerprint on a brand um from from the ground up and 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 have a company that was going to kind of invest behind me that was a huge opportunity and it was kind of going against the grain a little bit in terms of at that time the stable that that Nike had and uh you know Everybody can talk about, oh, they do it the best and this and that. That's, you know, you know, matter of opinion. But the fact that I got to go and, you know, get in the signature shoe game, build a brand, be able to inspire and storytell uh, around things that are important to me, like we're now eight, what, nine years removed yeah. from that. Yeah. <laughs> and I got this freaking logo <laughs> on my hat and we have hopefully something that, Will continue to be part of the legacy for years and years and years and years to come. That was me betting on myself um, and it was uh it, it was a fun it's been a fun process uh, from day one and uh, yeah, I don't know if I'd have made that decision had you know things gone differently uh, with the contracts though
3: and and speaking of uh, decisions that you've made um, you you win unanimous mVP uh, which hadn't been done in the history. Mm-hmm. You then take that unanimous and you spin off and you start an entire couple different sectors <laughs> of business that you go into uh, under the under the name unanimous. One is your production company. Uh, another is you started a fund. Um, <clears throat> talk to talk to me about building that production company because it's actually it's actually a phase that I'm in right now um, in my life and. You know, just not necessarily building a production company, but, you know, the podcast, um, TNT deal, um, throwing bones, sessions. And so, and moving into that direction, how has that been for you? Because the time that it takes doing all of this stuff, brother, y'all ain't warned me about this. (laughs) (laughs) All the time that it takes in building this, but how has that gone? Um, Y'all signed the first look deal with Sony. Um, how has that gone on that side for you? The things that you've learned and and how that transitioned into that side of the business. It, it's
5: been a it's been a whirlwind, and you just said like it's it's about making sure you prioritize like what keeps the lights on, what what makes all this possible. Obviously, that's basketball, and uh, I don't know what kind of feedback you've gotten, but that hey, has, that has never ever changed, like whatever you see us doing outside of court, like we know how to make sure we keep balance. And it's not, I'm not saying it's easy, but you always uh, prioritize and make sure, one, you know who you're doing it with and your, your people and your team, because that's the most important piece. Sometimes you get that right. Sometimes you get that wrong. The quicker you can realize when you get it wrong and and uh, and make the necessary changes, that's important. And that's a hard thing to do in our position too, because you do... Um, you know, got to uh, delegate and, and make sure people are positioned for success. But at the end of the day, it all comes back to you. And some people like that responsibility. Some people don't. But I found that uh, it's been amazing to try stuff. Like, it's been amazing to just experiment, you know, you know, try your skill set at different things, uh, get into, uh, you know, projects that move you. Uh, like you talk about with my media company, with Unanimous, like, we found pillars within faith, family, and sports that we want to continue to tell amazing stories through a bunch of different mediums. Um, but making sure that it is authentic to to who I am, my personality, things that are important to me. Um, and then allow my team to push me a little bit into different areas that I didn't even know were were possibilities. And so um that's gonna be a, a long journey that we'll continue to uh, you know, to assess our goals and 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 measure up how we're doing and and keep building and scaling up but um I think it obviously it comes down to the team that's something that is a comparison to basketball and off the court that are so important who you who you who you rock with and who you do that business with and who you trust to to be a part of that fold is the the key to everything um and uh this has allowed me to you know create some amazing relationships. It's amazing opportunities, set some amazing, you know, amazingly talented people up for success. And
6: uh and do- hey guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This podcast. We got a great episode coming up, picks in all the sports, football, basketball. We do them all, but here's a preview of this week's episode. Nothing to do with anyone personally, but Creighton is the team every year that the nerds, you know, the basketball nerds, are like, you know, who's ready to get Creighton, you know, watch Creighton.
0: What does optimism look like? I'm on a quest to find the people who inspire us to dream more and do more. I'm Simon Sinek, and I host a podcast called A Bit of Optimism. I talk to all sorts of people, from the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff... To a hairdresser on Instagram who gives out free haircuts to the homeless. From the CEOs of the world's largest companies to the comedy writer who visited the wreckage of the Titanic. I love talking to leaders, artists, authors, and eccentrics about life, leadership, purpose, mental fitness, human skills, high performance, and other curious things. It leaves me feeling wiser, more inspired, and, well, more optimistic. Because after all, this is a bit of optimism. The world is full of magic and wonder, if you know where to look for it. Listen to a bit of optimism on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
5: Do it with things that are you know, authentic to me.
3: Speaking of authentic to you and setting people up for success, um, you have Holy Moly, which is very authentic to you for those that don't know it a Golf Goofy show.
5: and fun and golf. <laughs>
3: and, check, check, check. Like, it checks all the boxes for stuff um, that I know. I've had the honor of going on once, which was great. <laughs> but I think one thing that I, that that you've done that I really enjoy to keep tabs on um, because I feel like I would have been there uh, had it been around when I was coming up is that your underrated tour mm-hmm. um, and how you essentially channeled who you were or, I mean, you're not, yeah, who you were because you're not underrated anymore, <laughs> but who you were coming up and said, okay, just like me, there's a million other kids outside that doesn't get those looks, that doesn't get to go to uh, the good camps. And if they go to a camp, they get a reversible um, jersey that says a number on it, and then they go home. It's not, it's not a good thing. They don't look good. They don't, they're not treated well. It's just like, oh, we're giving you an opportunity to go play basketball. You've changed that narrative, and you've put together essentially an all-American camp for underrated kids. Can you talk to me um, more about the underrated camp? And also, like, is is there anything else that's going to come with the underrated camp? Like, are y'all going to continue to grow that? What's the plans with
5: so like you, it was an amazing setup because that's exactly what the goal of the Underrated Tour was at, at, at Jump. I, I started my Under Armour All-American camp. So you're inviting the top 30 high school guys to the first two. And then we got to expand uh, to uh, the most talented girls in, in high school sports. And like the fourth year, I was sitting on in one of our little sessions and I was looking around, mind you, like, I don't know what these high school dudes are eating these days. but they all like six, 7, 220. I'm like, yo, first, I'm probably the smallest one in here. Two, I damn sure know I wouldn't have been invited to this camp. <laughs> 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 I wouldn't have invited to my own camp. So I thought, like, this is an amazing experience to give them a piece of uh, my skill set and my understanding of basketball and hopefully pass something back down to them. But what about the three-star recruit that, Two-star recruit for a while, like three-star recruit that I was in high school. That, like you said, looking for an opportunity, looking to get on a platform to, um, you know, showcase who they are and their abilities, um, and, and obviously in the pursuit of a, a, sco- a college scholarship. So we started underrated tour. Racketton's been a huge part of it. They, you know, propped it up year one, and we've gone to four different regions around the country. Um, it's it's free. It's an open invite to three-star, uh, you know, recruits who. Uh, love the game of basketball, I want to come out and work hard and compete and but we're giving them the opportunity and and like you said, a first class experience like it's not mm-hmm. just you know let's just bring you to a gym and roll the balls out like you know and trying to put them in the right gear, make them look you know, look fresh um, give them more of a understanding of what it takes to be a college athlete in terms of you know you know being uh eligible academically uh different uh classes and, and understandings for their parents to know what recruiting is like, mm-hmm. uh how to go through that process. And then obviously the on court uh you know skills and uh and, and expertise that I can provide through uh the programming that we do. So we take four regions, we take the top, you know, uh talent from each region. We bring them out to the the national championship stop out here in the base. So they get to come out here. Uh we just had it a couple of weeks ago um, we had a tournament, so each region plays against each other, and then we have a champion, and and we have the most underrated girl and, and boy in the country, and we we celebrate that, and we help them tell their stories um, in terms of where they are, where they're trying to go, and how they're going to get there. Um, and so it's been an amazing success so far. We're in year three, going to continue to expand that out, um, and, and continue to reach as many kids as possible. And hopefully, we've created over thirty scholarships wow. uh, through this through this uh this tour in basketball on the boys and girls side so it's pretty it's, it's amazing and to your like point this is something that exists in a bunch of different youth sports um and obviously for me basketball and golf are the first two that I wanted to touch and so uh soon this summer will be the first underrated golf tour um wow and the uh the cool part about it is like golf is such a We call it an elitist kind of history in sport, but there's an understanding of opportunity that the game can provide, not just as in pursuit of playing professionally and making money, but the world of golf and the business of golf and even just the different connections and and doors that golf opens. We need more representation. We need more equity, access, and opportunity to the game. And so golf is the vehicle to reach these kids, and hopefully we have some PGA professionals, and that's the the goal the they get more representation on all these different you know, professional tours, but golf will also be the, the, the vehicle to, uh, give these kids an understanding of skill development, you know, business acumen, um, an understanding of whatever passion that you have in this world, like it's possible for you to get into these, uh, into these right industries and, and, and do it where you're, you're prepared and equipped to become, you know, our future leader. And, that's the goal. So uh, coming soon There's going to be a lot more we talk about with that tour. But to be able to have that uh, impact on these kids through basketball and golf um, is special to me because it's what I love.
3: <clears throat> That's amazing. Um, excuse my ignorance, but how in the hell do you find a three-star
5: golf? <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so pretty much anybody who's a minority in golf, you're already three-star in general because there's so many different uh, barriers to um pursuing golf at the highest level but the three star in golf is more the equity in terms of reaching the same amount of boys as girls that we do um in each of the the uh, different tour stops that we have the the access in terms of breaking down those barriers whether it's cost related whether it's transportation related whether it's uh, equipment related uh coaching like all of those things that are a part of you know skill development within golf and then the opportunity is like again using golf as the vehicle to introduce these kids to future, you know, success um in a lot of different areas. So that's what the three stars are in golf. Um but like I said, getting representation within the game across the board, that's that's first and foremost.
3: And 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 moving back to basketball, I know everyone's gonna be watching this. How are you feeling? How's your health? Um I'll probably get food and and chase center (laughs) if I don't ask this question. How how is your health? Like, um, are you expecting to be ready for game one? Are you not expecting to be ready for game? I also need to know this for my personal (laughs) sanity as well. So, how are you feeling as far as, uh, you know, being ready to play this weekend?
5: The goal has always been game one. Um, And this is a weird injury because it's such a slow healer. Like, you know, I've had a bunch of different injuries over time. But, like, sometimes, like, every day you feel, like, dramatically better and you 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 like oh i got a little pep in my step i can keep i can do this i can do this this one i feel like i felt like the same for two weeks Mm -hmm. but i could do a little bit more and a little bit more but it's all like just dealing with the pain that comes with you know the injury that i had in my foot so and you know the, the uh the wear and tear that comes with uh with an injury like that but the goal has always been game one the goal still remains game one i uh, very optimistic that it will be game one and uh whatever that means like you said i just want to be available and we know what time of year it is we we've been in the playoffs for two years it is kind of weird to think about that Yes, <laughs> and i'm so freaking juice because uh i know how much i love that environment first time in this building which would be interesting mm-hmm. so i don't want to miss none of it so that's the goal um and i would It'd be hard pressed to, you know, for anything to kind of keep me out of that, but we'll see.
3: Uh, it's definitely exciting. I mean, you haven't, you, know, you weren't with the team to, on this last trip, but I've probably cussed out seven people <laughs> to, just leading up to this, man. I, I'm i just antsy and excited. I think, I mean, obviously for me, what was it, first seven years of my career? Yeah, mm-hmm. first seven years and not making a playoffs and then spending two years outside of the playoffs. I'm like, what the hell? Like, yeah, yeah.
4: Welcome to my world for the first three years. I mean, it's you, thats right. You, well, that's the reason. First, year you, you made the playoffs because y'all, you and Clay, been here. But yeah, those first three years, uh, I already had the car on the on the back of the truck, headed <laughs> back to North Carolina. <laughs> like, I had a tea time. I, I had I had <laughs> my seventeenth was was vacation.
3: <laughs> I had my car on the truck two years ago in two thousand twenty, ready to go everywhere, and then. I mean, the one off season I do all right, all right. We missed the playoffs, which I was not happy about. Yeah. Then the one off season I do get the, the, COVID the world, the shut down. and then the <laughs> next off season I get the NBA season, even though we don't make it. It runs into July. <laughs>
4: like, we ain't made the playoffs play until June twentieth. Like, ain't made the playoffs, I man. Been stuck at home or had a month to go do his thing to get get your mind right, exactly. and, then and then turn right back around.
3: <laughs> like, and and I mean, for me, we finished June twentieth. If I had to be In Vegas, July 4th.
4: I forgot about, yeah. For USA. uh, Yeah.
3: Which then spanned from July 4th to... August 8th? Training camp start mid-September? You just
5: can't can't get away from the game, that's all.
3: At least I'm in the playoffs this time. I'll (laughs) take that one. I'll take that one. But, speaking of playoffs, Lakers had a rough year, um, as we all know. No surprise there. But, LeBron says the other day, uh, last week or something, whenever it was, that he has one guy in the NBA right now that a current NBA player that he wants to play with. That player happens to be you. Um, And I know I saw the other day where you said, you laughed about it and you was like, oh, I'm good. But, like, take me deeper into that. Number one, I mean, you're, you're on that level, but, like, LeBron is up there in the GOAT conversation. So, for him, to, like, for him to come out and say, like, no, I want to play with Steph Curry, regardless of how the world may feel about that or how anyone may feel, in my opinion, that is, like, that's, that's one, number one, that's one of the ultimate signs of respect. That has to feel good. But then, number two, like, don't give me the laugh, I'm good. Like, take me deeper into what
5: you were really thinking
3: <laughs> when you first heard
5: that. But, uh, so what you just said is, is definitely, uh, and like we talk about all the time with with Bron, especially you knowing our history and the finals runs and all that and playing against him. There is no denying like his greatness in terms of what he can do on the court. And like sometimes you're in, even when you're playing against him, you're in awe because mm-hmm. it's like the way he can control the tempo of the game, the way he can dominate scoring, passing, you know, just his overall just presence and his IQ, like all that stuff, like we all talk about it. And you have to appreciate your competition if you want to beat him because there's got to be that, you know, as coach would call it, the appropriate fear. Absolutely. But (laughs) um, like you said, in in terms of like him picking out one player that he would want besides the son that he would want to play with and my name comes up, it is definitely – it's surreal because I – I'll never be so far removed from the time like I was in Detroit playing in the Sweet 16 game and this dude was maybe his fourth or fifth year in the league and he's coming to my game like supporting and cheering and doing all that stuff even at the place he was at in his career as uh, you know the the future superstar and like you said Hall of Famer uh, potentially greatest of all time like the fact that we're 13 years removed, and he's saying that it's still crazy. I had a, do don't know how people knew this. He gave me a jersey when I was in high school. I Sorry, when I was in college, my at Davidson, and I still have it on the wall at my parents' <laughs> house back in Charlotte. <laughs> wow! And he wrote it like to the king of basketball in uh, in North Carolina uh, and signed it and all that. So like, I'll never be too far removed from like where I came from in terms of this this journey. Uh, so that's dope, and that's 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 the surreal part. The other quick part is like, okay, if you take a fantasy draft and you're like building a team out and you got what Braun can do and the way that i can shoot the ball like obviously there's like a curiosity like what would that look like but also there's a realist realism of like that's why i said i'm good right now it's just you can never let your mind go from what you know is is your situation what is uh your moment your time and who i've been rocking with from from day one so that's my best. That's my best answer at it because it's, it's fantasy. It's, it's wild, but there's a respect and appreciation. There's a surrealness because of where I came from and and how we first interacted back when I was in college. Uh, but if this was two K, that'd be pretty lethal. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
3: I appreciate that answer though, because <laughs> the reality is one thing that pisses me off um, in this entire realm of NBA players uh, which is let's face it dominated by African Americans it's how they try to pit us against each other you know it's like everything him against him compared like how is he compared to this guy
5: no, they just did that to uh, I, was, I was walking up here and somebody I was on TV and one of the Talking head shows, and it was like, who has more pressure, Kyrie or KD? I said, what? <laughs> like,
4: what? Like, <laughs> right, now they walk in the That's locker room That's 15 minutes on TV. Like, we talk about that. Exactly. Before the playing game even started. Like, I think
3: it's ridiculous <laughs> the how they try to, like, and so when LeBron comes out and say like, I want to play with Steph Curry. And the reality is, all the talking heads and all of these people, they, they, they want to try to find a way to make that controversial. Right. And that's that's not a controversial statement at all. That is saying I admire someone. With my knowledge of the game, because LeBron has some of the highest knowledge when it comes to basketball, with my knowledge of the game and me understand what wins in this league, I want to play with him. Because if I can take my skill set and partner my skill set with this guy's skill set, I think it'll be unstoppable. But it goes way further than that when, when it comes to us. You know, it, it doesn't go way further than that when, when, when you're dealing in all other realms of business. But when it comes to us, it goes way further than, you know, actually, from a basketball standpoint, that makes all the sense in the world. He would almost be
4: dumb not to say that. <laughs> like, are you out of your mind? If you gave him a clear, a clean slate, and was like, like, number one pick in the NBA draft, fantasy, whatever, like, like you said, what you bring to the table, who would compliment that?
3: <laughs> Hello. Like, makes that's,
4: all the sense that's, in the world. that's a great point, though. So,
3: I mean, and I, I've kind of been going on this thing lately of, like, just the disrespect amongst us and how, like, I actually spoke about it, um, I I actually, I need to get your thoughts on this, too.
5: Before you ask, people always compare eras, too, right? And they always say we're more buddy-buddy than eras are past because there ain't no fights on the court. Like, we all work out with each other. You got business crossover, friendships, like, all that stuff off the court. And they always talk about, like, that's ruining the game, no pun intended sorry mark uh, <laughs> that's ruining the competition on the court in terms of like we all have you know these backgrounds outside of that 94 feet do you, do you ascribe to that like this like our era is less competitive because we're friend more friendly
3: uh, i think we're just way smarter than the eras before us um if you look at that from a, a the way the game is like if you look at the past era of basketball they was beating each other right. like they they Don't get me wrong, guys were skilled, and all due respect to the guys that came before. But they were out there literally, like outside (laughs) of fighting, like playing the game of basketball. They were beating each other. There wasn't like much skill to that. There were guys that were skilled. But if you look around the NBA now, there's no one in the NBA that can't hit a three point shot. Now, whether they shoot a bunch of them or not, but there's no one in the NBA today that can't hit a three point shot. When you look at the level of the skill that we have today, it's totally different from from the league when it was or from what the league used to be. But I also say, you know, we're smarter than them. We like you look at all the things we're doing from a business perspective off the court. Not saying none of them didn't do business, mm-hmm. but it's way more now actually taking advantage and doing these things. My question to you, um, I made a statement about three weeks ago that if LeBron's breaking the scoring record.
4: <laughs> you play 81 games next year. I, I'm not
3: going to the game. I'm going to see LeBron break the scoring record. Now, I want to ask you as a teammate, and I have not asked Steph this at all. We Again, well, I, laugh. It, it, I we have not discussed <laughs> it at all, so y'all can get the same answer I get. I actually didn't think anything of it. I didn't think anything of it until we're in Memphis last week on the day of that game. And Bob calls me earlier in the day, and we're just talking. And he's like, hey, so help me understand. When you say something like that, or when you say that in particular, like, do you just not care what people think? Do you not care what your teammates think? Do you, like, um, and he, like, laid out all these other things that it possibly could be. Right. And I said, Bob, I'm sorry, but if people in the world are dumb enough to believe that I'm going to miss my job to go watch someone else do theirs and feed their family, and this is how I feed my family, which means if I miss my job to go watch him feed his family, I could possibly lose how I feed mine. If someone's that dumb, Bob, to think, wow. He's actually going to miss his game. If someone's that dumb, that's not my fault. Like that's not my problem. I want to know what you think when you when you see me make that
5: statement. So one, I knew if that situation happened next year, there's no way in hell you would walk to me, Clay, Andre, <laughs> Coach Kerr, and be like, "Yo, I'm doing this." So I, I, that's why I, ain't, I didn't hit you about it. I, I knew there was it was a way of expressing how amazing that accomplishment Absolutely. and feat was, and your respect for Bron. Two. I understand one piece of what Bob is saying in terms of if it's somebody within your family that might be, and your family is all different contexts, and the family Mm -hmm. of our team, somebody is going to be, going to have to directly answer to that for whatever reason. Like, there's a certain level of respect of, hey, you know what I meant by that, or whatever. Like, no, we can, that could be a quick conversation, cool. But it's also an unfortunate piece of, Lumping it into every other soundbite <laughs> that comes out of your <laughs> mouth. Like, which be the polarizing we all know who you are, and like that piece, I know that'll never change because that's who you are. But it's also like if if there was ever it it's, it highlights if there's ever any little insecurity or question of where your loyalty lies, which okay, if if you're going to that point, then you got a whole nother conversation Absolutely. to have. Um, and if, like, cool, we're going to have that conversation. But I, 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 that's the one thing I get is, like, if it's somebody within your family that you know, you know whatever you say, even if you still mean what you say and you're not going to step off of it and you kind of don't regret how it came out, if they're going to have to answer to it, yeah, you have to take another step to, you know, say your part. But I didn't hit you because I knew there was no way in hell game 67 next year. LeBron is 27 points away. <laughs>
4: It might be two games because he might <laughs> shit the bed one game. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be out. Pull a Dennis Rodman right quick. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I'm going to see y'all. I'm going to see y'all when I see that, y'all.
3: That's, that's good to know, man. A <laughs> right, couple more questions uh, before I let you go. A couple more basketball questions. Um, and then I also want to ask you a couple family questions. Well, that's that's important to me as a father, as a husband. I wanted to guys that I've looked at since I came into this league and how you handle yourself. So we'll get to that. But a couple more basketball questions. Um, <clears throat> so coming into this season, you know, we come in and it's kind of like this mix of old guys, if you will, and young guys. Yeah. And and I I made a I made a comment earlier in the year, and I said we've never seen this work mm-hmm. um, where you're trying to mix the past, or not the past because we're still the, yeah, I know. And they're all in our prime, but past success, of uh, the group that you've had success with and future of who you think you can have success with, and trying to combine those two. We, historically, we had never seen that work. And I said that in a press conference. Now, <clears throat> what takes the cake is me saying historically, we've never seen that work. But no one does acknowledge the part of me saying that's the challenge for us as leaders of this team. That's the challenge for us. That's the challenge that you embrace and you want to be the group that can make that work. Mm -hmm. No one talks about that part. They only (laughs) talk about the first part. But, um, and now we've played 82 games, Mm -hmm. and you've seen how it all come together. Um, What are your thoughts on uh, this current team, and what needs to happen for this team? Obviously, we know health. Um, You know, we gotta stay healthy. I've been out. Clay missed the first half of the season. I missed Essentially, half of the season right in the middle, and then you've missed the last few weeks. So obviously, hell. But what has to happen, as far as like our young guys coming along? Uh, who do you think is going to be that X factor? What has to happen for us to ultimately do what we set out to do, and that's when the championship?
5: I mean, this year has been a, it's been interesting, as we we laughed about it a little bit. Like nobody expected us to start out the season the way we do because of the, <clears throat> the questions coming into the year about. Uh, the two different timelines, um, not knowing what, you know, Otto and Belly is vet minimum guys and Andre is, you know, you know, where he was in his career, like what, how they would mesh with us and all that. You know, essentially the team that started off hot and the way we, we started off the season was uh, off the, the way we ended last year, you know, mixed with a little bit more veteran presence and two young guys that um, have so much potential, but, don't have a defined role or a consistent opportunity. So we've gone through all of that. And like you said, injuries and Clay coming back and, you know, JP's ascension and all that. So what needs to happen is health, like you said, but we keep doing what we're doing in terms of understanding how we play. And then defensively, obviously, that is going to take the cake. And it's amazing to have you back, you know, feeling good and healthy to help lead that charge. But we know how the playoffs, the, the rotation gets tight. Absolutely. But you with that tight rotation, you have those three to four guys. And it's gonna be JK Mood, you know, D Lee, Juan, even GP a little bit. Well, those guys are depending on matchups, depending on how a series go, you have to be prepared and ready and locked into what you're gonna be asked to do. And that could be five minutes, that could be a 30-minute run. That can mean starting one game, come off the bench one game. Like, the flexibility in that because we have so many pieces to go to. Like, some teams, they have eight guys and they're going to play eight guys the whole, t- the whole run, and that's it. We're not that team. Um, So if we we play, like, you know, our our rotation, we play at the highest level, do what we need to do, and we have, you know, our guys ready to step into those roles, um, you know, on a moment's notice that's going to give us our best chance because we know it's going to be tough we know how hard it is to win a championship how many things have to go your way but we can take on that challenge of what you said starting the season like doing something that hasn't been done historically and then we'll deal with what comes next Mm -hmm. you know when it comes because that's the nature of the NBA but uh, I like the fact that we have the ability to throw a bunch of different guys out there um, and trust that you know they can provide and uh, provide value and do do what they need to do out there. Um, and no brighter stage of the playoffs to show that because it's just, just a, a different energy. Um, and when you look back, like certain guys that have helped us win a series or a championship, some of the names will be, you know, will hop off the page in terms of uh, some unexpected guys that came into a role and did what they needed to
4: do.
3: 100%. Um, and speaking of a championship, if you, if you could trade the 2017 and 18 championship to complete the 73-win championship, would you trade those two
4: championships to complete the 73? Mm. So I'm going to get the resume right.
5: So <laughs> I have, we'd have two chips and a damn near perfect
4: season. Mm-hmm. Or three or three, or three chips trips in a blunder. <laughs> you see, I didn't even want to say it. <laughs> you see? I blank I I blacked out as soon as I had to even acknowledge it. 16, uh, uh. <laughs> oh man. I don't I don't even know how to answer that question. I would say no, but
5: I think for the rest of our life I'll still be able to just laugh at sixteen, which
4: is fine. <laughs> it's fine. It's always gonna be that just.
5: Awkward, like uh, acknowledgement of an amazing regular season and in, and in, in, in the finals run, but yeah, I I, I say no. But get you I'm a Steph Curry in I, your life. I, I'm glad I don't take myself too seriously. Cause get God, you a Steph dang, Curry
3: That was, was hard. <laughs> you don't have your a Steph Curry in your life. Get you a Steph Curry because if he said yes, this interview was over. <laughs> my heart was broken.
4: Get you a Steph Curry. Because he mean, yes. <laughs> Get you a Steph. No, uh, I think, honestly, that essentially, that essentially puts you in a place of
3: undoubtedly the best team ever. Um, If, if we were to complete it. Now...
5: <clears throat> cool to be in a conversation.
4: To be quite frank with you, I still think we had best team ever. Although
3: we didn't finish it and win the championship, I still think that was the best team ever until 2017.
4: <laughs> I was about to say where are we where are we going with that? That team was not- <laughs> until 2017,
3: <laughs> and then I think that team took over as the greatest team ever. So I think we still oh, accomplished funny. it, that's best funny. team ever, but not quite. You know, people take numbers, and they want to put the numbers there and say, oh, well, the Bulls had 72 wins. a feeling, wins. bro. Like, exactly. We were the best team ever. I, I don't I don't care what no one said. I can't see anyone beating that 2017 team, not even our first 15, 16. I, I can't see anyone beating that 2017 team.
5: They say in the medical field, I concur.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Hands down. That's it. The best team ever. But before we get out of here, um, I've always asked you questions just about marriage, Mm -hmm. um, about kids, uh, how you parent, how you are in your marriage. um, Because you've always been a great example for me to watch and I'm appreciative of that. Like, I think, you know, people don't realize you, we spend, I spend more time with you than you spend with your wife. Like, you spend more time with me than I spend with my wife and my kids. Like, that's just the nature and what we do. Mm-hmm. Like, we spend a ton of time together for half, for half the year, we're on the road, we're all together. And then even when we're not on the road, we've been here since 9 a.m. It's
4: 4.45. Probably 5
3: p.m. <laughs> like, you still spend a, spend a ton of time together, but I've been able to watch you for 10 years now um, and your growth and parenting your growth as a husband and just how you continue to grow, and I have such a strong appreciation for that. Now, in saying that, the rest of America has also been able to watch your marriage and your growth, and you and Aisha are almost like Y'all, y'all are the golden standard and, like, the go- the couple goals and, like, that everyone really look at and say, man, like, we want that. Do, you, do y'all feel that pressure in your marriage or are y'all just so grounded in your marriage that, like, what anyone says from the outside really don't matter? Or do you feel that pressure in y'all marriage to kind of uphold what the world see y'all as? Like, the world see y'all as the ideal couple that made it work since a young age and is still making it work that like on your trajectory to greatness, here comes her trajectory Mm. to greatness and like she's doing great things and like Sweet July um, was the cover, was the face of cover girl. Like all the things that she's doing, um, she has her Aisha cookware in in stores and just to see both of y'all extend has been incredible. Do y'all feel that pressure from the outside world to be that goal that they all wanna be.
5: I think it's it's both for sure. Um, But I say that because we never like acknowledge any type of title like that or like pressure or um, put any merit on like that as a goal, right? But we also understand the influence, inspiration that it can provide and that's what people need you can't sell yourself for that, like in terms of uh, how you live your day-to-day life and uh, there's got to be a balance to it. But the best part about it, and I can honestly say that, is because it's built on such a solid foundation that we are just living our lives and doing it together and sharing uh, every up and every down. You know, the growth that has come individually and stuff that uh, we never in a million years could imagine like, uh, that we be doing, and uh, you know, together and in our in our individual careers, uh, on top of you know raising three amazing kids, like the foundation was so strong um, because none of this was around, and I, I'm truly appreciative of that. Um, that I do have somebody that I can share all of this with, and who knows how I'm thinking before, before I'm even thinking it, uh, I can un- you know understand some of the pressures that she's going through as a quote unquote basketball wife, which we know. It's not just a thing. It's it's something that is thrown at you know them unnecessarily every single day of uh, either comparisons or standards that they have to uphold every day, or just the constant noise around like what's happening in our world is always having to impact them, or they have to answer to it, or whatever the case is you even think about like stuff that's going on this year and like terms of fan interaction like it's hard for them to come to games sometimes like keeping it real like we're going to play off games on the road and there's always you know people yelling at them because they think that's going to affect us and all this other stuff and like i have such an appreciation for her going into that role too because it, it's loud at times and it's there's a lot of you know opportunity for distraction and, and stress and um and whatnot but our foundation is key the fact that we can share that with the world the proper ways um try to be as authentic and real about the things that we're experiencing and hopefully you know give a good light on what marriage is mm-hmm. because there's so much fear around what that is and and, and obviously you 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 want to uh to honor you know that establishment as much as possible and the commitment that we made so it's 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 a little bit of everything but the fact that I get to be her big supporter and biggest supporter and see what she's been able to create on her own and um and know what work she's put into it and the stuff behind the scenes that nobody gets to see like that stuff is so dope to me and so rewarding because um you know she deserves everything she's got and uh I'm proud of her for that.
3: Aisha a little more like me in a sense of she was da, 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 blah, oh, she, and then it just comes out, <laughs> and before you know it, <laughs> it's out there. <laughs> like it up. just it just blew out. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I admire is, and I, and I guess it's just who you are because, you know, as a brother in my life, you've been the same way. Like I said, she's like me in the sense that it'll just come out. And as a brother in my life, no matter where I've went wrong, um, no matter, you know, if I've said some wrong things before, you've always supported me. And one thing I admire about you in your relationship, but you in particular, is even <clears throat> at times where she may have said the wrong thing, um, your support for her in saying that and, and, and standing in front of it was like, uh, you stood in front of her as if she was right like and it don't matter and I, I admired that but that's that's for you Is that can get a little dicey too because you have a brand and you have all the things that you've built but you stood in front of her no matter what that situation like what the situation has been is that just like that's just what it is that's the way it's gonna be do you like is there a conversation to be had like what how does that? How do you go about that? Like I, I think
5: th- that's powerful. Because a lot of it is uh, the fact that, like you just said, like I know you're gonna mess up at times, and I've obviously I've done the exact same thing, and I can defend myself. But when it comes to like the unnecessary, just focus and heat on somebody that is like take a take a second and walk in her shoes for. You know, I'm not saying we're all blessed and we all, you know, have uh, amazing things going on in our life. But like my sister always said, like, everybody's mountain is their mountain. And there are certain things that you will never know she's going through in terms of, you know, all the different hats she has to wear. And, you know, the responsibilities and the expectations of a woman in all of those arenas and what they go through on a daily basis. Like, I have an appreciation for all of that. So. I know she would hold me down in those situations in the same way it goes, you know, the other way. And that is my job as her husband. And so, uh, I take that take that seriously. And the biggest piece is like, this is such a long journey, man. Like there's gonna be so much stuff that you know, that happens. And if you like I say, if you have a strong foundation of how you're gonna get through that stuff, like, um, at the end of the day, like there's so much confidence in that because I know uh, I know who she is, I know what she's about, and never second guess that. So that makes it a little bit easier. Um, in times where there is conflict and there is, uh, you would know, you everyone call it drama, unnecessary drama, because that's that's what it is.
3: No, for sure. I think <clears throat> I have an appreciation for that because for the longest time, I would see you operate that way, and I didn't understand it in part due to cuz I didn't have that for myself like mm-hmm. I didn't, you know um once once being in a relationship with Hazel I learned so much about being in a relationship and mm-hmm. like and support for a woman and the hats that they actually wear before that I can't say I understood that like I didn't understand all the hats I didn't understand um the things that you know she's doing for our kids and like holding our house together and like all the different hats that a woman wear I can't say that I understood that. If you want me to be 100% honest with you, I thought, like, man, they like so easy. <laughs> like, like, I got to go out here and play every day. Oh, Your bro. life is very simple. <laughs> until you really connect with someone and, like, you share in that pain, you feel that hurt, you see the struggles, it gave me a totally different appreciation for it. I, I don't know if you remember this, but I asked you a question on the plane before. And I said, if there's one luxury in the world and this is long before my understanding. It's probably six, seven years ago I asked you this. I said, if there's one luxury in the world that you can have and you can have it for the rest of your life, or that you could just have one luxury, what would that luxury be? And I asked you, I asked Clay, maybe D. Lee. And I know mine was a private plane. Yeah. I'm like, I, I like private plane. That's one. That's the ultimate luxury to me. And I'll never forget your answer. I was so disappointed <laughs> in your answer. I look back on that answer now, and I 100% understand because what your answer was—it is like it—it it has a bearing on your life. It has a bearing on you being—you know—one of the things that you told me is like me and Aisha date, and like, like we have a relationship totally separate of the kids that we really involve, like that we really commit to because we know if we're committed to that relationship. The kids, they'll be fine and they'll automatically benefit from that. And I and I understand that now. But when I asked you that question, it was so disappointing. You said a nanny. <laughs> I'm like,
4: <laughs> I, I don't, out of all the luxuries in the world. <laughs> you caught me on a you caught me on a stressed out day. <laughs> out of all the luxuries in the world, you can have
3: a nanny? I didn't understand it. I do understand it now though. Yeah. But I didn't understand it then. And that was like, I mean, I thought she was And out that's of your me mind. saying that.
4: So imagine like the reflect
5: like, you talk about the stuff that they that my wife does to be a presence and a you know a caregiver and taker of our kids and just the, the amount of work that they might not even feel like is work. But I feel like you leave me at home with the kids for four mm-hmm. hours.
4: God something's gonna break. I might lose one of them <laughs> at, ho- at the house. They might be hungry. Uh, I don't know what, like, it's just a
5: whole lot of stuff. But like I, that definitely is a reflection of just an appreciation for uh, what it takes to be, you know, an, an amazing wife and a mother and an entrepreneur and all that type of stuff. And the other piece to that the appreciation is I know how hard, you know, we work to do what we do and what it takes to be successful. It's something you pour everything you have into it. Yeah, I feel like there's a kind of common theme of like women in general, you know, have to work twice as hard for the same opportunity. Absolutely. And that's like just common. And, you know, we can talk about pay equity and all all that stuff, but we can also like even think about, a lot of the accomplishments my wife's have been marginalized because of my success. One hundred percent. So think about it. Like I work twice as hard to get you know acknowledgement or success in my my business, whatever that is, and then I'll get half the praise for it because it's because, because you have money. It's because uh, you can afford multiple nannies. It's because you know your your husband is the superstar in the NBA. That it's easy. You got all the opportunity in the world. Like I never appreciated that vibe because I don't get off from praise like that. Mm-hmm but you also have to appreciate like what you put in is not going to necessarily come back you know with the same energy mm-hmm. and once that clicked like all the other stuff made much so much more sense in terms of the day to day on just finding peace and happiness mm-hmm. at the end of the day and so um Hazel, Aisha, every other wife in the world, I got so much respect for for what you do. Uh, and we wouldn't be who we are without them.
3: I, I agree 100%.
5: percent we am trying to get some
4: brownie points
5: on the Draymond Green
4: <laughs> show today.
5: I, I got, got a date in two hours and it better be good, Aisha. I'm playing this. Can I get the advanced copy? Can I get the raw? We're, <laughs> sending, this.
3: we're sending this right away. <laughs> but speaking, I mean, two more questions. I didn't know you had a date but no, we we're getting good. out of here anyway. <laughs> but, um, <clears throat> Uh, last one about Aisha, and then just one for you. As, as guys, especially in our position, um, like Hazel's an actress. She's constantly doing auditions. I'm constantly reading. I know you remember this because Aisha used to be in the same field. I'm reading these like, these scripts. I'm, I'm reading the script slides. They call them. I'm reading the slides and trying to record her because as you, COVID sent everything home. So I'm the cameraman. I'm the reader. I'm all of these things. I'm the light, man. I'm Doing all of these things. And I have a huge appreciation for her and her grind and like mm-hmm. what she puts into it. Um, but that's not always the case. And especially in our profession, a lot of guys have egos. A, and a lot of guys are super, super insecure in what we do. And Aisha's leveled up on a totally different level over the last two, three years or so in everything that she's doing. How was that for you, accepting that growth? Because it changes the dynamic. Like, it changes... You could come home from a 10-day road trip and she gone for 10 days. And then now she come back from her 10-day trip and all her business that she's handling, and then you're leaving for four days. How has that been for you in adjusting to what she's been able to do, all the things that she has her hands in and the businesses that she's started and are running and, like, you know, like, CoverGirl isn't a business that she started, but then being the face of that, that comes with a requirement. How is that for you in to accept that? this is who she's becoming. And I support that 100% because it totally changes the dynamic that you were used to for years.
5: You, you got to, that's where we came. I mean, it's not a uh, genius term, but we, like, we literally have to thrive in chaos a little bit. Cause it is, uh, you, you got all these plans for what the year going to look like and how we're going to balance it out. Okay. We're going to match up road trips and work, uh, crazy work, uh, schedules and, So that, you know, when I have a homestand, we're all at home and we have some normalcy and family dinners and all that. And then you get like three, four weeks into the season. You're like, uh, uh, we ain't getting this right. But to your point, like it's a celebration of what she's doing. It's understanding that we're trying to do everything at the same time. Like we're trying to raise a family. I'm in the height of my career. She's, you know, a serial entrepreneur and has a bunch of, a lot of, uh, you know, success at scaling these businesses up and what it requires to do that. Um, You kind of have to continue to reprioritize. Like, again, like you said, like dating each other and having as much quality time as you can. You know, the kids are definitely, you know, a priority. Um, And work, like all those things kind of shuffle at the same time. And um, it's, it's difficult. I won't sit here and try to sugarcoat it and say like, we got everything perfect. But at the end of the day, the one thing, I'll make a joke, the one thing that has done is, like, I kind of am looking forward to, like, what does retirement
4: look like? <laughs>
5: <laughs> what is that?
4: What does that actually look like? Uh, we get nine months of my year back, and, uh, you know, you go on a work trip? Cool. I'll be here. i hang out with the kids. I mean, it might look different when you get back, but uh, don't worry. I'll hold it down.
5: <laughs> like, but... Um, we have an amazing village around us that helps um, and, you know, that, that is extremely crucial to to supporting us and what we do. But there is an understanding that, you know, these could be the busiest and most chaotic times of our lives, but the most rewarding in terms of, um, you know, life experiences and even what we get to share with our kids um, along the way. So um, at the end of the day, we always tired, though. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Your last answer honestly leads me to my last question, which was: What does retirement and life after basketball look like for Steph Curry? And it's a two-part question. Um, does will we s- get the opportunity to see Steph on the PGA tour, or at least Ooh. pursue? Because
5: I like the word "pursue."
3: Pursue, because and like we're professional basketball players. We know, and it. so no disrespect to. All the PGA golfers out there, like I know what it takes to to be what you all have become and what you're doing. I don't know what it takes to be a golfer, but to be a professional. And so no disrespect, but I know your love for golf. I know your relationship with the tour, with the guys on the tour. Um, Will we one day have the opportunity to, to see Steph Curry pursue playing on the tour? There are a couple templates
5: that uh, certain other, you know, professional athletes from other sports have taken to dabble into professional golf, Uh, like John Smoltz, uh, Tony Romo, um, Marty Fish, who was an amazing tennis player. Uh, All of those guys have found ways to find competitive golf, test their skills, um, get ingrained to some of the kind of, pole events throughout the calendar year that kind of scratched that itch if you will so uh, I'm gonna learn from that when, I, when it's all said and done I don't know if that's the scary part is like if you told me that I know what it takes to be a basketball player at this level and the grind right I'm not afraid of that grind mm-hmm. But I'm also afraid of that grind because if the <laughs> grind starts and I commit to it, I'm not going to stop. Absolutely. So I have to, I, I got to find some clarity on that question because it would be interesting to see how far I could go. But I'm also afraid of what it, what that means because you know, my work ethic is something I hang my hat on and you can take that and apply it to something else. My, one, I just hyped up my relationship with my wife and success and peace <laughs> and happiness and I might ruin all of that. <laughs> I might ruin all of that by saying, hey babe I'm uh, you know, whatever 17, 18 years in the league I'm gonna go uh, I'm gonna go try golf now <laughs> let's just watch rinse and this whole last 18 years I don't know what that's gonna look like but those guys have figured out a way to have some fun keep it competitive but not go all the way into the deep end so we'll see
3: my brother, I appreciate it. I, I mean, I think, like, people always ask me, obviously, you know, I can't golf, but people always ask me, um, am I going to coach or am I going to be a GM mm-hmm. when I'm done playing? And I tell everybody, no, hell no. Like, the last thing I want to be on when I'm done playing is a basketball schedule. Mm-hmm. Like, I've been on a basketball <laughs> schedule my entire life. The last thing I want to do is retire And then be be back back on a basketball schedule, so I totally understand, my brother. (laughs) I totally understand. And um, from myself, producer Jackson, uh, Jackson has been fucking blowing my phone up all week (laughs) about this episode (laughs) and like how he think it work. We had two calls about this episode (laughs) and and making and trying to make it as perfect as possible. But honestly, um, it's really a, a you know just a nod to, to you and everything that you've done, um, who you are, these trophies, your MVP trophies that sit right next to those trophies, that's just in your own personal <laughs> trophy case, um, who you are as a person, uh, a steward of the game of basketball,
4: um, and an example for Black men and how,
3: like, no, we can be successful in marriage and like yeah there is a, a divorce rate and like we can be successful and as as the head of a family because that is skewed and like we don't get to see that all the time and so i think you know when when speaking of couple goals it's incredible to see two african americans do what y'all are doing and so
5: i appreciate I, that man
3: i appreciate it and i want to say thank you um for Everything that you've done and been to me in my life um, for the success that we've had, you know, there's always this notion of like, Draymond can't do, can't, can't do it without Steph or he can't do it without Clay. And I'll be 100% honest, I can't. On the flip side, Clay and Steph, Clay can't do it without Steph and Draymond. And Steph can't do it without Clay and Draymond. And I think for, for me, what we've built it's not that i can't go on and do something else it's not that you wouldn't be successful in playing with someone else it's not that clay couldn't go to the lakers tomorrow and be clayton it's not that it's just not as beautiful as what we've been able to do together and so
4: fuck everybody i, was about to say, I don't know how you going to end that cuz that's fuck joke, everybody <laughs>
3: who say I can't or he can't or Clay can't, <laughs> you're right. You win. We can't. We can't do it without each other, but we're damn good doing it together. That's it from this episode of My yeah! Green Show. Thank you, my brother. It's a wrap. We out.
1: The Nazi V2 was a rocket-powered bomb travelling faster than the speed of sound. You couldn't hear it coming. A technological miracle, but a military and economic disaster for Nazi Germany. How did the V2 come into existence? And why were so many of the people it hurt, not the people you might expect? Join me, Tim Harford, host of Cautionary Tales, for my gripping mini-series on the V2 rocket, available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: This is Angie Martinez. Check out my podcast, Angie Martinez IRL, where I talk to Super Bowl halftime performer and the newly married usher about relationships.
1: Trust is the, the main, you know, component to happiness and success in a relationship. Being able to actually hear each other and speak up. I think most of the time, you we all just want to be heard.
2: Listen to Angie Martinez IRL on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts.